Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Good morning, everybody. Love that promo. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Chris Ria. I'm joined today with my very good friend, Abdu Murray of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Everyone know who that is, Ravi Zacharias? Abdu, why don't you tell us a little bit what you do for Ravi? <clears throat> so I'm the uh, uh, Senior Vice President with RZIM, and RZIM's mission is to help the thinker to believe and the believer to think. And in that order, we're uh, an evangelistic ministry primarily. We reach out to the influencers of culture and we uh, tackle the toughest questions uh, that are influencing those who don't yet have a full, robust faith. And we're trying to uh, tackle those with credibility and with respect. But we're also very interested in helping the believer to think uh, in a more critical way, in a way that reaches out to influencers. We're, We're thinking people but we're often mischaracterized. Christians are mischaracterized as those who are transformed by the removal of their mind, not the renewal of their mind. And I think that um, that's an unfair characterization. And so our goal is to not only reach cultural influencers, but to equip those who can reach them as well. It's a great, great mission. How much have you traveled this year? You're speaking a ton all over the country, this, right? Yeah, this year. Uh, this year was a lighter year. I was I'm about 165 days, I think, this year of travel. Last year was almost 200. Um, and I uh, just got back from uh, Dubai and Sri Lanka wow. by way of Boston uh, and did some amazing, uh, I got to see God do amazing things there. Um, in fact, uh, I was speaking at a church service uh, in Dubai, which is just amazing that I could do that. And um, there were calls for salvation at the end of the message and numerous people gave their lives. People who were from um, South Africa, people who were from Australia and other parts of the world. How poetic is it that someone would come to a non-Christian country to work and they would find themselves leaving their Christian, at least somewhat Christian country, to come to a non-Christian country and find the Lord there. Wow, that's amazing. Cool. So traveling as much as you do and as big of a man as you are, you got to have some kind of fun, you know, traveling stories. What's the, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened? Oh, well, happened? being this big is, is awesome to be on planes. It's fantastic. It's a wonderful thing. No, I was uh, very recently, actually, I haven't shared this with my wife yet. It was a funny story. Um, I was sitting in the jetway, uh, no, sorry, in the, in the gate area, ready to go on the plane. And people ask you sometimes when they're sitting there and they're frustrated with the flights, you know, how things work. They say, what do you do for a living? And I have a weird job. So what, what do I do for a living? So I, I say, I answer hard questions, <laughs> which always leads to another question. Um, and then when I tell them, I speak on uh, faith, philosophy, intersection of culture, and the hard issues of life, they either can't wait to talk to me more or they can't wait to leave. <laughs> um, well, in this particular instance, uh, he wanted to talk to me more and I engaged with him a little bit and he said, hey, do you have a card? And you know, what a wonderful little exchange. And we're walking down the jetway to, to get into our seats and I'm talking to him like this and here we had this you know, deep conversation and rapport is building. And as soon as the flight attendant said, watch your head, sir, I went bam, right into the plane. <laughs> so I, I lost all credibility with that guy. He's like, that guy answers hard questions. He doesn't even know when to duck. That's it's funny we're talking about pain and suffering. Um. Yes, that's right. Well, I always love having you here, and I love just having conversations for a couple of reasons. One is I can drink coffee while we talk up here, and yeah. when you combine like the Holy Spirit, the mm-hmm. Word of God, and coffee, that's, what more a, can, that's yeah. a dangerous trio right there, my friend. <laughs> But I also love that I can just ask you anything I want. 
mm -hmm. and you answer it and everyone is better off for it. So that's mm. amazing. Today what we're doing, we're kind of, we're in our series called Hope in the Dark. So what we want to talk about is this idea of pain. How many people have gone through a painful life experience at all? Anybody in this room? A few of us, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Walk through something really, really hard. And as Christians, it's kind of tough to navigate this because there's kind of a couple things going on. You know, we want to believe that God has plans to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us hope in a future. We want to have faith to believe that no weapon forged against me can prosper. We want to have the faith to believe in miracles. God can heal us. He, you know, he can, he can perform these miraculous things in our life. But then we also have this issue of pain and suffering, where we're in this world and we have faith and we do trust God, but then we incur the, this immense amount of pain in our lives and suffering, and we, we kind of are confused by it and as Christians don't always know how to handle it. And yeah. some people, when this happens, Christians, they walk away from their faith completely. They mm -hmm. say, well, there must not be a God, and if there is, I don't want anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. Other people, they kind of ignore the pain, like act like it's not there, act like there's nothing there. I'm just going to keep trusting, just keep trusting, nothing, nothing's going to hurt me. But I also think there's a third option that I want to chat with you a little bit, and this is this concept of wrestling with our faith. Mm -hmm. And just kind of, when, when hard things happen, being able to have real and raw conversations with other Christians and with God about what's going on. Yeah. Why is this happening? And we saw it with Job in the Old Testament. You get all his friends that are telling him how much it's his fault and that he's in pain and all this. And of course, we have a few of those people around here that want to tell us it's our fault or it's you. if you just did A, B, and C, you wouldn't be going through right. this. So we're always trying to balance some of these things in our lives. And I love in Habakkuk, uh, the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is a minor prophet. And what he does is actually the message that he gives in his book is actually from the Hebrew Masa, which means an ominous utterance, a doom or a burden. He had this burden on him. And in Habakkuk 1, 12 through 13, he says this to God. He says this to God. Now, he's a prophet. He's a man of God. He's, a, he's someone who believes God can do anything. He's God's voice to the people. And this is what he says. Lord, are you not from everlasting? He's questioning him here. My God, my Holy One, will you never die? You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, so he's, he's going to God, my rock, have ordained them to punish. He's kind of wrestling with this faith, this hope, but this kind of what is really happening in the circumstances. He says, your eyes are too pure to look at evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that God was allowing his own chosen people to be swallowed up by another godless people, and he's having this wrestling match. He, he's like, God, you're good. You're my rock. I love you, but I'm also, I don't get it. Hmm. I don't understand why you could do something, but you're not. Yeah. Which, which kind of leads us to our first question. We'll tackle this. If you have your phones out in the survey, 
First question says this, why am I walking through this dark and painful life circumstance? Just why is this happening? And feel free, we don't know who's voting. We're not going to call you out. Give your raw, give your real answer to this question. There's no right or wrong. We're just kind of trying to figure out where people are at. Abdu, let's talk about this. Why does God allow these things in our life, and is it okay to wrestle with it? Yeah, um, well, this is an interesting question because oftentimes we think this is a question that only the Christian has to respond to because the Christian believes that God is good and God is powerful. So the uh, argument would go, or in the midst of your suffering, the doubt might creep up as if God is good, he would want to stop my suffering. If God is powerful, he'd be able to stop my suffering, but my suffering still exists. So either he's not good or he's not powerful, or maybe he doesn't even exist at all. And those are the things we wrestle with. Every single person uh, has to ask that question. So the, the fundamental, so this is, by the way, not just a Christian question. This is a question for the non-theist, for someone who doesn't believe in God at all. Because like Richard Dawkins, Richard Dawkins would tell you that the universe, if it's just a selfish genes and electrons, would experience meaningless tragedies along with equally meaningless good fortune. In other words, it's all essentially meaningless. So for the, the, the atheist, the question seems to be a sharpened stick at the Christian, but that stick has two ends to it. And the more you jab, you might jab yourself back and realize that your worldview provides no answers whatsoever. Um, uh, people of other, Christ, of other sorry, um, monotheistic faith whether it's Judaism or Islam or even pantheistic faiths, have to ask the suffering question. And so they answer it very differently. You look at the, the, the pantheist, for example, and the pantheist will tell you that suffering is an illusion brought upon you by the illusion that you think you're a human. You're not human, you're divine. And when you realize your inner divinity, you will wake up from that and suffering will go away. But that itself is the illusion, that idea that you're God. That's the exact cause of so much of our suffering in the first place. Um, but it is the Christian faith, I think, alone that actually says suffering is not just a test. Suffering is not an illusion. Suffering is so real that the God of all creation, the one from whom all reality springs, deals with it specifically and he takes it upon himself. And he says, I, I have done something for you. I have sent my son so that he can suffer the things you deserve to suffer so that one day you won't have to suffer. That's why I think the Bible says in such a personal way when it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't think it's this magic wand where he goes like this and everyone stops crying. I think he walks up to you, looks you dead in the eye and puts his thumb on your cheek and wipes, personally. Now, why does he let these things happen? The answer, the, 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 the straightforward answer is I don't know. I don't know why any instance of suffering could possibly happen. But here's what I do know. One, that if God is all-knowing, he could allow some suffering to exist in this world for a greater possible good that could come in the future, five minutes from now or 50,000 years from now. But because he knows all things, we who don't know all things are not in the position to judge whether or not he's doing something wonderful. But here's the issue, and you look at the song that we just sang, where it says, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Well, it's the darkness that seems to suggest his, fa his grace isn't unchanging. But the reality is, is that in the midst of that darkness, you can rest on what you know. So when you don't know something, when you don't know the answer, you can rest on what you do know. And what you do know is that God could theoretically allow suffering for a greater possible good, but you as a Christian actually have history beyond theory because God didn't just let any suffering happen for a greater possible good. God let his own son suffer 
in reality, in history, for the greatest possible good there could be, the salvation of the world. And he rose from the dead as a matter of history, not just hope, to prove he was right. So in the times when you don't know why you're suffering or how could God let this happen and darkness seems to be there, you don't rest on what you don't know. You rest on what you do. And what you do know is that his son is still alive. That's a good way to answer it. Let me do a play on words here. Mm -hmm. Because when I look at this survey up here, the number one response is God caused mm -hmm. my suffering. So let's take a look at this word cause mm -hmm. versus let happen. Yeah. And, yeah. and break that down because that's a big difference is God let something happen and he uses it. Because I believe God doesn't cause pain personally, but I believe he doesn't waste it either. Right. Like if we go through something, we'll grow closer to him and be able to help people out in the future. He'll use that. But this word God causes pain versus allows it to happen. Yeah. Can you break that down? For sure. Me? So there are two ideas behind God's will. There's God's causative will or his directive will where he actually does something specific and that makes something happen directly. Or there's a thing called his permissive will, where he, circumstances, because we do have free will, circumstances of people bumping into each other happen and God allows it to happen. A good friend of mine lost uh, his mother to cancer when he was 10. I don't think God gave his mother cancer to see if my friend would become a believer or not. I think that God allowed it because he could have stopped it but didn't but he did allow it for a greater possible good. Uh, do I know what that good is? I don't, but he does allow these things. So I think we need to take a, a, a moment to think about, does God cause suffering in specific or does God allow it? Now he does cause, for example, when you read through the Bible, you do see instances where God uses, for example, the Assyrians or the Babylonians or whoever it is to execute judgment. And so suffering does follow judgment. So in that one sense, you could say God causes circumstances such that suffering does result. But I think a lot of this is permissive because the Syrians, for example, still had free will. They could have chosen not to attack the, the, the Israelites if they wanted to. But um, God allows things to happen so that we can learn something. And this goes back to a fundamental thing. You know, um, there's this phrase, C.S. Lewis, makes this beautiful phrase when he pairs the idea of God's goodness and our suffering. He says this, God whispers to us in our pleasure. God speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So here's what I, the question I often ask. When we see God's permissive will, and he'll allow suffering to happen. And someone says, I don't know, I don't know, I don't get it, I don't get it. Here's my question. When's the last time you heard someone say, why God, why, when they inherit money? <laughs> or when they buy a car and suddenly they realize, this has GPS, I didn't realize it has GPS. You know, and they get all excited about that. When good things happen, we almost never say, where are you, God? We are deaf in our pleasure. But we always ask, where are you, God? What is, what is going on here? Why? I seek, you seek understanding in pain because for some reason we're built this way. We listen better when we're a little bit um, pained and God's megaphone reaches us quite a bit. And I think people, I, I, I'm willing to say this based on this, the survey response, by the way. When, when have you felt closest to God? When life was easy? Probably not. 
And it's funny because the Bible actually answers, answers the objection before the skeptic even makes it. Uh, Paul says that it is our, uh, our mission in life, what we are here for, why we endure the present sufferings, is to be conformed unto his image, to look more and more like Jesus, even his suffering, even unto his death. You are supposed to look like a suffering servant. You are supposed to. That is what it means to image God. And I think that if you understand God lets things happen so that you can look like his son. And if you knew that, if you walked into this life saying, I can have no suffering and look nothing like Jesus, or I can have tons of suffering and look so much like Jesus, which one would you pick? I think that's a hard one for us as the, in America, church, American church, in, in the dispensation of church we live in, because mm. we have equated to, uh, you know, a good life, God's blessing us, right? As a Christian, God wants to bless us. He does. And, and, and that word, you know, he wants to prosper us, he wants to bless us, but sometimes we equate that means he wants to give us stuff. Mm-hmm. He wants us to have more bigger houses or more money or right. nicer cars or he's blessing us, mm-hmm. right? But in, in New Covenant Christianity, I mean, this is a big difference because you got the Old Covenant, you got the New Covenant, so we, we have to balance this out. In New Covenant Christianity... We are sons fully and daughters fully forgiven. God's for us, not against us. He, he puts his spirit in us, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. We have this power. We have this authority in him. But our ultimate goal is to bring him glory, mm-hmm. whatever the cost, right. whatever that means, yeah. like to glorify him, to mm-hmm. lead people to Christ. That's all of our calling, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so we have these, we have these, um, these two uh, passages of scripture we quote very often, and I think that we quote them correctly in the correct, the correct context, but we also quote them incompletely. In other words, we apply them in times of overcoming and in blessing, but we forget that they actually apply in times of suffering and in want as well. Uh, two, 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 two first passages of scripture, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, through Christ who strengthens me. And we, we typically want to do that. We quote that when you know, the exam is coming up or um, the promotion, or I'm trying to save my marriage, you know, anything. And we we do that. And and yes, it's for that. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Um, But you know what we can do also? Because he says all things endure suffering even when it doesn't end well. Because there have been people in this room, I know this, and anyone who hears the sound of my voice, who have prayed, had a life full of faith, and had a blessed life. And so many of us, the fact that you're sitting in this church alone, by the way, hearing this at all, is a tremendous blessing because there's parts of the world where this is illegal. Right. Um, and you experience the blessings and then the pain suddenly comes. And in that moment, you're thinking, if I have enough faith, the blessing will continue to shower because God has plans to bless me. And for some folks, the answer isn't going to be, I'm taking the suffering away or this pain away. In fact, I'm going to culminate it in the loss of someone, maybe the loss of your marriage, maybe the loss of, the, of a loved one. I think about my good friend Nabil Qureshi who died at 35 years old from stomach cancer, was reaching the world for Christ. And people often ask, why did God take him so young? And the answer is, I don't know. And he prayed for healing and it never happened. And he was faithful to the end, faithful to the end. Um, and he, the last words he uttered, the last words he uttered was in Hindi, I think it was. And he said the word victorious. Can you finish like that? And you can because you can do all things, not just overcome, but all things through Christ who gives us strength. And then Jesus also, uh, Paul tells us that we are more than conquerors. 
Now, that doesn't mean we're better conquerors than the conquerors who have conquered us. It means we're something fundamentally different than conquerors. We're not about winning over the enemies and vanquishing them. We're about becoming complete in him. And sometimes suffering is the way to go. And so I think in a, in a, in a country and in a world where we're given so much blessing, we forget that you, are, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, including live up to the bad ending, not just a happy ending. Wow. Let's go to our second question here, and it's this. In times of prolonged suffering, the biggest question I ask is this. Mm. So what, what I want to do is clarify prolonged suffering. So I know some of you in this place, I've had conversations with you, and it's just like one thing after the next. You've been faithful. You've served God your life, your whole life. You've sought his face. You've read his word. You've tithed, you've served, you've done all the things. And it just seems like life is just dealing you one blow after the next of pain and suffering. And it's easy in those moments to just say, you know, where, where are you, God? And, and are you going to come through? Or are you good? Are you there? Why don't you do more? And I, I, think, of, I think of David here in Psalm, in the Psalm 620, or six. Psalm 6, he says this, and this is, you got to remember, David was, went from a shepherd boy to anointed king. He didn't ask for that, but God chose him, anointed him king. Then he kills Goliath. He's on top of the world. He's on like this mountaintop, right? He's the next king of Israel. Everyone's starting to look, life is good. Then all of a sudden, Saul gets jealous, tries to kill David. David's on the run for his life. Mm-hmm. Some people believe like 15 years, maybe, mm-hmm. he was on the run for his life. And he, he writes this. He says, have compassion on me, Lord, for I'm weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I'm sick at heart. How long, O oh Lord, until you restore me? Then listen to this. I'm worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears, My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of my enemies. I mean, you talk about a guy who is in this prolonged state of suffering, who's weeping, who's going through anxiety, depression. Um, He's just full of fear and stress and worry. And he knows that the God who anointed him king could step in and do something about it, Mm -hmm. and he can't understand why. He's still grateful, he's still loving God, he's still (laughs) worshiping, but he's wrestling here Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, this is a a terribly important point, and I think it's worthy of dwelling on for just a moment, Uh, because one of the things in Christian circles especially, and I look at these answers and you think to yourself, that's amazing because we still do think, is God going to come through? And uh, it's it's honest. Uh, All the answers are honest, by the way. It's amazing that any of them have a percentage point at all. All right up there. It's pretty amazing to me. And I think that's honest and it's commended to you as well. There is a, uh, a tendency within Christian circles to equate lack of understanding with lack of faith. And that you're somehow a doubter. And how dare you not... Um, believe that God is going to come through or whatever it is. When you're in the midst of pain, it's, it's, it's actually reality altering. Um, when you've had so much pain in your life, think about the physical pain. I, I remember having a toothache. I had an abscess tooth. 
And I remember thinking to myself, I could think of nothing else. I could think of nothing else but the pain. This is a, 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 a tooth, for heaven's sake, right? And here I could think of nothing else but the pain. It can alter reality. And so you do wonder, is God there? Is God good? Is God going to come through? The problem, I think, is that oftentimes we equate lack of understanding with why I'm going into this with lack of faith in a God who can get me through this or a God who can work, show me something through the whole thing. I think there's actually a, a beautiful way in which skepticism and faith can live together in human beings. Let me, let me read for you a quote by uh, F.W. Borum, uh, a, a wonderful writer. And he talks about this because it's important for us to understand that we don't have to have, consider that we have a lack of faith because we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. Or if we question, is God going to come through? He says, we forget that a saint and a skeptic can dwell together in the same skin. Lord, I believe, there you have the saint. Help thou mine unbelief, there you have the skeptic. Same guy, and Jesus says that prayer is worthy. Same person expresses belief and doubt in the same exact sentence. The prophets love to look of a time when the wolf should lie down with the lamb, but in many a heart, the wolf and the lamb dwell together even now. Great wickedness and great wistfulness often lodge in the self-same heart. That could be any one of us, where we ask, what's going on? There you have the skeptic, but I believe. There you have the believer. Don't beat yourself up over the question. In fact, let me suggest this to you. Embrace the question because the answer will reveal itself. I think maybe on this side of eternity, maybe not. But when the answer does come, there's that sense of elation and relief that that wasn't for nothing. That wasn't just random. And like, as I said, if you go back to the suffering that God himself put himself through for your sake, then that can sustain you until that time when that answer becomes clear really good because I think we've been there. I've been here. Mm-hmm. I've been here, if I'm honest, yeah. wrestling with God. I've been faithful. I'm not perfect, but I've been faithful. Are you going to come through yeah. for me? And I've, I, when I wrestle with that, it's a really raw wrestling because sometimes we don't get the answers we want, or maybe God coming through isn't exactly what we thought God coming through should be, mm-hmm. right? Like if we were God, this is what we would do. Yeah. You know, it's easy to say that, but mm-hmm. he sees the big picture. He knows everything. And I wrestled with this for a couple of years with mm-hmm. this question. You know, I went through a prolonged period of suffering where it was one thing after the next in my own life. Yeah. And I'm going, man, I don't know how much more I can take. It led me down a, to a 10-day, you know, bout with anxiety and depression and not being able to eat, not being able to sleep for 10 days. Yeah. And I'm mm. going, Yeah. God, are you going to come through? Like, I can't live my life like this. And I want to give some people some hope in this place because maybe you're there. Maybe you're in this place and you got bad news all around you. And one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. And you're going, God, I don't know how much more I can take. Yeah. I want you to know that maybe God coming through isn't exactly what you think it's going to mean. But here's what I guarantee If you hold faithful, if you get honest with him, 
if you wrestle with him and if you're real and you journal and you're raw with the Lord and you turn towards him, you will find hope. You will, that, that's the thing that, that I love about the word of God. It says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow. Now, we don't live in the valley. We walk through the valley. This is not our new normal. And if we can be real and raw with God, we actually will deepen our faith. My faith grew so deep with God more during that 10-day period of time mm-hmm. than in my entire life. And God, I don't need to go through that again. For that, uh, for me to get close to you, I'm, I'm super close to you, and I'm so happy I'm close to you right now. Um, but but I, what I realized mm-hmm. is I never got deeper with the Lord than in that darkness, mm-hmm. walking through that valley, Yep. Than I am right now. Mm. You look at uh, the scriptures. Um, once again, I think that oftentimes, when we, we fail to see that the scriptures actually answer our objections or our deepest questions before we even ask them, and so you look at uh, um, uh, Jacob's story, and Jacob wrestles with God, right? And so Jacob's deception has caused a certain certain circumstance. Also, the circumstances in his life has caused a certain circumstance where he's walking around and rocks are his pillows. And then he encounters God and he wrestles with God. That he, I think he does that literally. I think he literally physically wrestled, but then there was a spiritual transaction. And he says, I won't let go until you bless me. And then God asks him the question, what is your name? And the reason he asks him that question is not because God doesn't know, it's because Jacob had lied about it. And he, fin- he finally says, I'm Jacob. And then God touches his hip. And Jacob walked with a limp his whole life. So he didn't come out of the wrestling pristine and absolutely, you know, he walked with a limp. And I don't know why, except to say that maybe it's because there was something he had to learn and be reminded of, of God's goodness, of his own sinfulness before God, but also God's redemptive story. So the limp you walk with your whole life, that pervasive and and ongoing suffering, can often be the thing that reminds you of who God is, the God you suffer. Don't forget something, this is important, don't forget something. When Jesus' body was glorified, it was glorified to the state where it could walk through a locked door. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. The Hebrew word for glory means heavy. It means thick and weighty. Uh, Which means that when Jesus was glorified, his body was heavy and thick and weighty. It was the most real thing on earth, which is why a door was like a vapor to him. It was real, the wood was real, but it was nothing compared to his body. And so he walks through. That's the body you and I will have in glory as well. The same body that's sown in corruption will be raised incorruptible. Uh, but right now you walk with your limbs. But Jesus, uh, this, is, this is the glory of, of, of God. Jesus' glorified body is not pristine. He presents the scars to Thomas. He forever bears your scars. Forever. So we, we get the benefit of having our limps taken away. His, limp will never, his scars will never be taken away. He will have them for eternity. And that's a God who you can say, I bring my limp to you, I bring my, my pain to you, because I know the God you are. And you don't find that anywhere else. It's really good, it's really good. And I want to be careful here because 
you know, it might sound like in a, in a talk like this or a conversation like this, we're saying, you know, if you're suffering, there's no hope. You know, it's not the truth. Right. God can heal. I've, I've witnessed the miraculous right before my eyes. Mm-hmm. I've witnessed God doing amazing things. I've witnessed, I know he can. And I know that my position is that God is able Mm-hmm. to do exceeding abundantly more than ever I, whatever I could ask or seek or imagine. But I also know that even sometimes when we have all the faith in the world and we believe, sometimes it's still, yeah. we still have to walk through some hard things in this life. We yeah. have some trouble. Mm-hmm. And I want to just talk real briefly because there's this, there's this thing in Christian circles, we like to make things up in the Bible that aren't really there sometimes. <laughs> like... The, one of the phrases is, God will never give me more than I can handle. Now, we get that from a verse in Corinthians where, mm. where God's, Paul says, God will never let you be tempted more than you can bear. He'll leave a way out. Mm-hmm. Doesn't yeah. really mean he won't. Sometimes I think he gives us more than we can handle because that's when we get so desperate yeah. for him. Because there's a thing inside of every one of us that wants to fix it. Mm-hmm. What can I do to make my situation better? Like, can I go to this person? Can I go to this? Can, what can my brain exhaust? But often it's when we say, I'm out of options. I have nothing. I'm full of fear. God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I need you in this moment. And you're going to have to do something I can't do. You're going to have to be there and walk me through this because I can't do it on my own. That's when we find something that we cannot find anywhere else in yeah. this life. Well, you look at this, this, the scriptures and you think about how many times it has been that a faithful person who has gone through a whole lot in their life um, is, a, is astonished when God doesn't deliver them from the particular pain. Look at Paul. Paul was whipped, beaten, shipwrecked, killed, almost killed, and eventually beheaded, by the way. It didn't end well for Paul in that sense. Um, but um, he has this um, thing he tells us, and he could have kept this to himself, but he didn't. This is what I love about this. Paul encourages you to be real because he tells us that he prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed, Mm. but to keep him from becoming conceited, which by the way tells you two things. One is that his prayer wasn't answered, and two, that he had the potential for becoming conceited. So he was raw and open and honest with us. So this great apostle Paul, who could have kept this all to himself, but was inspired by the Spirit to share it with each one of us, it never was removed, so that he could know that his power is made perfect in my weakness. So if it was the case that God gave us something that we, never gives us something we can't handle, then Paul would never have learned that his power is made perfect in our weakness. In other words, Paul couldn't handle it, and God gives him the grace to be able to be strengthened and do all things through Christ who strengthens them. I go back to this, and this is what I want to say is that I I see the same thing. I see uh, healing happen all the time, so I'll give you a juxtaposition on this. Um, I saw uh, a friend of mine, his wife got leukemia, very young, very vibrant, very athletic. She gets leukemia. They don't know what to do. She's diagnosed with it. It's rough. And so they go and they get a consultation. And they said, okay, we're going to run some blood work and we're going to figure out what's going on with you and come back and we'll make an assessment. Well, they go back and they get a report that, and the report says the radiation therapy seems to have worked because there's basically, there's no leukemia in her blood and her blood's fine. She never had radiation. She got a blood test. 
That's it. <laughs> Leukemia free to this day. They prayed for it and they literally have documented, documented a medical record that says she got it when she never got it. Uh, wow. There's actually a, a, a journal of medicine right now, you can look it up right now, that documents a young man who was unable to eat on his own for 16 years since he was an infant. He had a J-tube inserted into his stomach to help him eat. And then right after prayer, he had to have the J-tube removed because it was blocking his ability to eat because suddenly he could. Yeah. And this is in a medical journal where they're studying the power of prayer in an academic peer-reviewed secular journal on the effect yeah. of people's ability to heal. Right. So I know it happens. It's empirically verifiable that it happens. Right. Juxtapose that with my good friend, Joe. Many of you know Joe. His wife, Kit, um, got cancer, and they prayed very hard for her to be delivered from that cancer. And yet she passed away. And the story that I want to share with you is this. I got to see something. I was so blessed. So I drive to the airport, and I never forget my passport. It's always on me, I never forget it. But for some reason, on this particular trip, I forgot my passport. Mm -hmm. And I found out I forgot my passport when I got to the airport. And I live an hour away from the, from the airport, my flight's in two hours, so there's no way I can get back in time. So I call Nicole, and I say, hey, I, I guess I'm gonna stick it around for a while. Um, my assistant got me a flight that left at like 6.30 at night, and this was like noon, so I had six hours to kill. Um, roughly, so I was going to go back home. And she says, well, you know, I'm going to go see Joe and Kit at their house because Kit's having a good day today. I was going to go in to see them and hang out with them a little bit. Want to come with me? I'm like, absolutely, I'd love to. So I go home, get my passport, pick up Nicole. We go to, the, go to Joe's house. And um, his sister answers the door. And she's got a grave look on her face and said, you're here for Kit's last moments. Her last moments. What a turnaround in a day. And we walk in. And there she is, and she's doing that labored breathing people do in the last moments when cancer's finally going to take over the body, and that's it. Um, here's what I saw. Here's what I saw. Families around, and they lock arms around her, her bed. And there she is, eyes are closed. They lock arms, and it, their, their arms intertwined in a way that looked like a nest. It looked just like a nest of people surrounding her. And they're telling her how much she loves, them, how much they love her. And they're praying with her and they're praying with her. And they have her favorite song, it's Oceans, playing on, uh, on, on a phone there. And she's just, you know, leaving. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at my wife and I'm like, we're here to witness this. Look at the nest she's in. And then she does this amazing thing. She looks up at the sky, through the ceiling. She's looking up and she's looking and she's looking. And she hasn't spoken she hasn't been cogent in a while. And Joe is asking her, Kit, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? What are you seeing? And then she looks at him and she stares directly into his eyes, never says a word, and then she's gone. That's a blessing too. Yeah. We're all gonna go. Yeah. It's all gonna happen. My, my friend's wife gets, killed, gets, gets healed of leukemia. My other friend's wife succumbs to her physical infirmities blessing happens in both instances. Would I have liked to have seen Kit survive? Of course. But the faith and the family and the blessings that come through are, um, are amazing and they're multifold. And so is there empirical evidence God will bless us and does heal us? He does. Does he always? No. But he blesses us in both. Yeah. And I think for some reason, I believe he's good through both. Hmm. Amen. And that he's got good things in store in That's both right. situations, That's right. even though one's a lot harder than the other right now. Yeah. 
Hmm. All right, I got one more question, or we got a couple more questions. We're trying to get through these quickly. Um, this one is, I feel a real encounter with God is hopeless because... I want to give some context to this question. You know, when you talk about pain, when you talk about suffering, when you talk about people going through hard things, something that I hear from them uh, sometimes is, I just don't feel God's presence anymore. Like I used to, I just don't feel it anymore. I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like reading God's word. Like I open it, I just don't feel like doing it anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't sense him in my life. I don't sense anything. Like there's this whole mountaintop versus dry spell thing in our Christianity. Like at times where, you know, you, you walk in the door of a church and the first note, they're playing your favorite song and you're like, man, the, the, the presence of God is so strong. And then all during worship, you just, you just sense God. And then you sit down and it's like the the person speaking is speaking right to you and you had read that verse the day before that he's talking on and now you're sharing that with someone else and you invited someone to church who needed that exact thing in their life and they give their life to Christ and you're like on top of the world and then there's these moments where it's like, I don't feel them anymore. I don't, am I alone here? And I just want to talk Mm. about that a little bit of some of those things that we walk through. So this is interesting because this is the most oft question asked question I get. So when we do our youth our youth events um, at RZIM, we do two. We did one here. We did one called Remind, um, and we got this question during Remind when it was here, and we get it every single time. Every single time, we get questions on two. Well, there's three questions. They're all related. Number one, why shouldn't I kill myself? Every youth conference, someone asks it from the microphone. Number two, how do I get over my porn addiction? Which leads to a sense of hopelessness, which leads to a sense of devaluing human beings. We're just chemical machines, and so why not end my life? And number three, I don't feel my faith anymore. Am I still a Christian? Uh, Those are the three most common questions I get. And the last one, I don't get from the microphone. I get that in the one-on-one talks over and over again. So my response is essentially this. Um, It's two things. First thing is this, um, mountaintop experiences are rare by definition. They're rare and beautiful by definition. They're supposed to be that way. Uh, climbing a mountain's hard. Uh, to get the mountaintop experience, you have to climb that mountain. Now, this is not a salvation by works kind of a thing. This means that when Paul says you work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling, what he's saying in working it out is that you actually get to participate in the formation of your discipleship. It's not that you become a Christian and God says, okay, here's all the things you need to do and I give you all the strength to do it and you're gonna do it immediately. Everybody here knows that's not how it works. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, which means you have to engage in spiritual disciplines. And if you're interested in any any way whatsoever with physical health, whether it's through your eating habits or it's through your workout routine or whatever it might be, you know something, consistency breeds results. And if you don't, engaging consistency, people get excited when they go to the gym and they work out and they get really sore and then they don't work out for a month and a half. You know what you accomplished? You accomplished lactic acid buildup. That's what you accomplished and you're sore the next day. That's all you did. You didn't get better or even stronger. But when you engage in a regular routine, your body adapts and you get stronger. The same thing happens with our spiritual life. So there are times when you don't feel like going to the gym or you don't feel like eating right or you don't feel like maybe even telling your wife you love her. But you do it anyway. 
and your relationship is better for it. If you don't feel like engaging in your Bible reading, your daily Bible reading, or you don't feel like praying, even a short one, you can have, you, you do it anyway. And there is this development of a spiritual strength such that you recognize something. I've had this happen. Maybe you've had this happen too. I find my most profound truths that I've come across in life about my own self-introspection, like what's going on in my own life, or how I'm not treating someone the way I should, or how I'm, there's a spiritual truth I'm wrestling with and I don't understand. You know what it happens to me? When I'm mowing the lawn, washing the dishes, or just driving somewhere. (laughs) You've had this happen where suddenly an insight pops into you. Not when you walk into church. It does happen here, by the way. Maybe it's happening today. But you have those experiences, and that's wonderful. I've had my share of them, thank God. But I've also had all the punctuated little exclamation points that happen throughout the course of my life that tell me that I've had an encounter with God. It doesn't have to be angels singing, birds chirping, a rainbow in the sky, and all this. It can be that, but more often it's not. Recognize the little blessings. Recognize, it's called a still small voice for a reason. Recognize the still small voice and it'll punctuate the dreariness. And in fact, the dreary won't be so dreary. Now the mundane stops becoming mundane and starts looking quite sublime. Washing dishes is a blessing if it gets you, your mind trained on something and suddenly you realize a wonderful spiritual truth or maybe I should treat that person a little differently or that's why that was taken the wrong way, whatever it might be. Those are just as valid and just as beautiful of experience as any where you've heard the scriptures come alive in your life. Um, So engage in a spiritual discipline, even when it's hard, even when it's not the kind of thing you want to do at that particular moment. You will find incredibly surprising blessings in that spiritual engagement over and over again. Um, I'm actually so strongly in favor of this that I guarantee it. I will guarantee it right here on the stage for all to hear. I guarantee if you do it when you're not, when you don't want to, you will get results. Guarantee it. And to just add to that, I think that the reason we don't always feel things is feelings are dangerous. (laughs) Feelings cause us to like do crazy things sometimes. Like feelings cause people to rush into marriage or rush out of marriage Mm -hmm. or, you know, feelings can, I just get a feeling and I'm going to go. And I, I think that we've got to be careful. I love sensing God's presence. Don't get me wrong. I love that tangible feeling. But if we're just chasing feelings, we don't have any substance. We don't know what to do with those feelings. Yeah. It can actually be really dangerous if we're not careful. Yes, absolutely true. You know, the, um, Ravi has this phrase. Uh, he says, what you win them with is what you win them to. So if you win them with a rock concert, let's say church is this wonderful place where the message is extremely thin and the worship is amazing because it's a rock concert every, every Sunday morning, you will win them to a rock concert and you will win them to a feelings-based faith because the message is one inch uh, thick and a mile wide. Like, well, it can apply in all these areas, but it's not really deep. It's not really thick. If you win them to a message that is thick and deep and meaty, you will win them to that. You win them with it and win them to it. And if you win them with feelings, a feelings-based faith, you will win them to, well, a feelings-based faith. And feelings are notoriously untrustworthy. Which is why when a kid says to me, I don't feel my faith anymore, or an adult, by the way, has said to me, I've lost all sense of my presence of God in my life. It's like, well, when you say you've lost the sense of God in your life, when you say sense of God, what do you mean? And if what you mean is, I don't feel this euphoria 
when I walk into church. I don't feel this anticipation when I open the Bible. I say, well, that's interesting because the Bible never says you're going to. Um, so no promise broken because no promise given. Um, what it does tell you is, and Luke does this in the beginning of his gospel, and you see it over and over again where Paul talks about it. And you see Luke says that he's undertaken a careful investigation of all these things so that you may know knowledge, the truth of the things in which you have believed. It's based on, your faith is not based on feeling, it's based on knowledge, which goes back to one thing, and I'm sorry I, to wax a little bit longer on this one, but it's super important, because Christians oftentimes are the chief perpetrators of this myth. Faith is not belief in no evidence, when there's no evidence. That's not what faith actually is. Get that out of your mind. You will never find anywhere in the Bible, anywhere in the Bible, where faith is encouraged based on blind belief, nowhere. Nowhere. Someone might say, ah, but no, with Thomas, uh, Jesus shows him the nail scars and Jesus says to him, uh, Thomas, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe and who have not seen. He's not saying that blessed are those who believe without any evidence whatsoever because they don't demand any. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Thomas, you have seen now, but what you've been doing this whole morning is you've been doubting the eyewitness testimony of your brothers and sisters with whom you have served for three years and seen all the miracles I have performed. And they told you I was risen from the dead and you heard the evidence. So you heard. Hearing is one form of evidence. Testimony from other people is one form of evidence and you doubted because of it. You needed to see. But blessed are those who will believe from hearing the evidence. It's not about blind faith. It's never been about blind faith. In fact, the Greek word for faith means trust. Everyone in this room is sitting down. Did you test the chair before you sat down? You didn't test that chair. How did you know it was going to hold up your bulk today? Maybe because you have enough evidence. You've sat in that chair before. I've seen, I, my wife and I move around in this place. We never sit in the same place twice. Um, a lot of you folks are parked there. Um, so you have way better evidence than we do about that chair holding you up. Um, but you don't have perfect evidence because one day, if physics, is, uh, physics applies, and it does in this room, that chair will fail. And maybe you'll be the unhappy recipient of that in public. Who knows? But you have enough evidence that this kind of a chair will hold you up. You have faith in the chair based on what you know. And that's why knowledge, when Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, not you will feel the truth and the truth will set you free, you will know it, you can have a solid foundation in the midst when you, when you don't feel an encounter with God is actually uh, possible because he's, you feel he's mad at you, or you feel a lack of his presence. Those feelings are not the basis of your faith. They are the blessing that comes from your knowledge. Wow. Do you see the difference? Yeah. Feelings come because of knowledge. Knowledge because, comes because of revelation and because of careful study. Be a studier of the word. Show yourself approved so that the feelings will follow the knowledge you have. Amen. We could keep talking forever, I'm sure of that. Um, let's, let's, land this, let's land the plane a little mm -hmm. bit. Something that I have found is being a Christian is different than just not having faith in anything because we have the, the Bible. We have a God who sees everything we do. So this guilt, this shame, it can creep into our lives and become so big yeah. that it actually causes a block between us and God because that's what shame, guilt does. Mm -hmm. So I think some of the reasons why maybe you're not feeling something or you don't feel like reading the Bible or, or in God's, being in God's presence, but there's, we've also allowed some shame, some guilt, 
some things to build up. We don't think of ourselves as royalty, as mm -hmm. sons and daughters. We don't see Christ yeah. in us. We just see we're the sum of our biggest mistakes and consequences. And, and sometimes mm -hmm. the pain in our lives is due to our own fault, right? Mm -hmm. Our own dumb yeah. decisions, our own consequences, or someone we love mm -hmm. doing something dumb. Mm -hmm. And now we have to deal with it. And I just want to encourage, I just want to encourage everybody. Um, life can be hard sometimes. And in the moment, we can be tempted. I, I'm all about wrestling, but we can be tempted to be like, God's not even there, or, you know, I don't even know if I want to do this whole church thing anymore. I don't even know what I believe. And I want to tell you, that thought is exactly what the enemy wants to get you away from your faith where you will just go down a path of worse choices, more fear, more anxiety, more depression. But when you turn towards God in your wrestling, hear me, when you turn towards God in your wrestling, my wife tells me this all the time, because I'm a doer. I'm just going to take matters into my own hands and figure out the problem. She's like, have you brought that to God? Is that something you're going to bring to God? Have you spent time with God about this? And she keeps telling me that. I appreciate that. I need it in my life. Um, but it's so true because when we, when we turn towards God with this pain, we can go deeper in him than we've ever been and get closer to him and get deeper in his word and get to know him better than we ever have. And I want to encourage you to do that. Abdu, one last thought to land this plane on this whole uh, yeah. idea of pain, suffering, and having hope. Yeah. How do we find hope in the dark, though? So um, hope is an interesting word. And we often think of hope and faith being the same thing. And Paul puts that to rest, or I should say, sorry, I, I revealed my, my hand on this one. The writer of the Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews, who I think is Paul, but um, uh, uh, writes um, that uh, faith is the assurance or the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, or, or the conviction of things not seen. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So if hope and faith meant the same thing, faith, then that sentence is nonsense. It would be hope is the things of things hoped for. You know, that doesn't make any sense. Faith is trust. Hope is a positive expectation or an expectation of a positive future event. And faith is trusting the one who said it would happen. So that's what the substance actually is. The faith is that substance of the thing for which you hope. You can have a valid hope because you, fit, you, you have faith in the one who proves himself faithful. So the, the hard part in life is hope deferred. There was one scholar who once said that um, hope deferred is no hope at all. That when it's just delayed and delayed and delayed, which is why the Christian faith is so unique, I think, in this sense. You have a hope that's deferred. We live in what's called the already not yet. You already have salvation. Your name, if you, if you believe in what Christ has done for you, and if you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a savior who's not you, and who's done something to pay a price that you deserve to pay, but he's paid it for you so that you don't owe a debt to God anymore, then that is a present and very real hope. It's not deferred, it's now. You have assurance of having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life now. Yeah. But the creation still groans, waiting for that which is to come, the renewal of everything. And so there is a deferring. There is a sense in which we wait for the ultimate culmination. So the Christian doesn't live in the pie in the sky maybe one day. The Christian lives in the already and the not yet. 
and the already helps you to endure now for the not yet, so that you can have that one day. That's, I think, the culmination of what it means to endure suffering. And when Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15 that you are to set apart Christ in your heart uh, as Lord, um, and then he says, always being prepared to provide a reason or a defense for the hope you have within you, for the hope you have. Do you have a reason for the hope? And he says this, to anyone who asks, have hope. Do you have a reason for the hope that you can give to anyone who asks? So you as a Christian are to live a life that is so hopeful that people want to ask you about it. And that is a positive future expectation. And Peter writes those words in the, in the context of persecution of the Christian faith. So he can have a hope and give a defense for the hope he has to those who will ask and do it with gentleness and respect in the middle of persecution. In other words, in the middle of pain. So the Bible speaks to these things specifically. So what I would say is this, let me give one illustration and then I'll be done. Paul, um, a friend of mine uh, was standing, was, I, told, I, I mentioned him earlier, he, his mother died of cancer when he was 10. And he became an atheist ever since then. So 28 years of atheism from that day, because he was 38 years old when he told me this story. He said his mother died of cancer when he was 10, and after that, he just couldn't believe in a God who could value, this is his words, could value me or my mother if he let her die of cancer when I was 10. Um, so I rested on two things with him. I said, you know, God could allow suffering for a greater possible good. And as a Christian, I believe God did allow suffering for the greatest possible good the salvation of the world. He offered that to your mother and he offered that to you. But there's one other question you asked me, how do I know that I'm valuable? Well, my friends, many of you are going through a time of suffering and wondering, is God there? Does God care? Is God really in this? Does he value me enough? Is he so angry with me that I, maybe I'm worth nothing? And we forget that we have this divine sonship and this divine daughterhood with God because of what his son has done for us and because we are now grafted into the family. We forget that. Cognitive behavioral therapists will tell you that the only way you really get over the issues in your life is when you start telling yourself the whole truth. Yes, you're a sinner, but you're saved. Yes, you're someone who is a sinner, but you're also a saint. And so you see that whole truth and that brings you out of it, which by the way, empirically shows and verifies one more thing in the Bible when Jesus says, as a man thinks, so a man is. That's exactly what therapists are telling you now today, that as you think, so you will be. And if you think that you are a blood-bought person who has an enormous value, that will determine your hope. You will get hope from this. So I told my friend this, you ask the question, how do I know that God values me or my mother? How do you know how much, how valuable anything actually is? I got a lot of things in my house that are really valuable. The drawings my kids have done over the course of the years, the Father's Day cards they've given me, wedding videos and pictures and all that stuff. But if the house burns down, I'm getting my wife and my kids and we're getting out of there. I will not make my children fatherless trying to save those things. But if Nicole or my kids are stuck in that house and the fire is burning, you better believe I'll risk everything for them. You know how valuable something is by what you're willing to pay for it. And I told my friend this, you and your mother have an infinite value because the infinite God paid an infinite price to spend eternity with you both. A blind, pitiless, indifferent universe does not give that to you, but a God who is the epitome of all of, all of existence and who tells you how valuable you are and then proves it by actually acting, he's the one who can give you hope when things seem hopeless. Amen. Amen. Thanks,
We're going to pray. If people want to follow you on Twitter or yeah. like get inform- sources from you or yeah. like how do they how do they stay in touch with what your your content? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm on social media obviously. Uh, Abdu Murray one two is my Instagram. Uh, if you don't do the one two, you'll follow my cousin. Um, uh, uh, Abdu Murray is Twitter. Uh, Abdu Murray is Facebook as well. We uh, upload videos all the time. Go to our YouTube page, RZIM, uh, on YouTube. We have countless numbers of videos on there and our website. Type in anything you want. Type in the word suffering. You'll get articles and videos on how to address it. Uh, but also for this church body. Um, I said this last time I was, I was here, and I'll shameless plug again. Um, my son, Yusuf, he's here Some There he is, right there. My son, Yusuf, started a life group called Tough Questions, Real Answers, and it's meant for people between the ages of 13 and 30. And so twice a month, you can come to our house, and we're already doing it. Come to our house, ask us your hardest questions, and we engage in real uh, discussion and dialogue on these issues. Last week, it was evolution and creation, and how do we know God uh, is behind all this, amongst other things. So... Those things can be done right here to do the life group uh, with us. We'd love to have you at our home. Pizza and ponderings at the Murray home. Um, but uh, do follow us uh, on our social media channels. We'd love to bless you with any resources we can do it. But thank you very much. Thank you. Let's pray real quick. Let's bow our heads. As the heads are bowed, if there's some prayer team want to come forward and just be at the altars in case people need some prayer, that would be amazing. Father, I just know that in this room there are people in pain. And I know there are people who are fearful of a future full of pain or loss. And I just pray right now, Lord, that you would minister your heart to them. That you would give them a sense of hope and a sense of peace in these painful moments, Lord, that they would turn towards you in the wrestling. And Lord, that you would be there and walk through that storm with them and give them that peace that they so desperately need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to encourage you, if you're walking through something hard, we have people willing to pray. You don't have to do it alone. We are here for you. And if you need prayer, don't hesitate to get some prayer. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.